Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. How does a self-made millionaire at the age of 24, a devoted Mormon, family man, how did he end up losing all of that and then regaining a sense of true purpose and happiness? Well, my guest today is a good friend of mine. His name is Doug Cartwright. Now, Doug is the CEO and founder of The Daily Shifts, an online company dedicated to inspiring, lasting transformation of the mind, body, and soul. And he's the author of the forthcoming book. Now, I'm going to swear here a little bit for you guys because that's the title of his book, but it is Holy Shit, We're Alive. Now what? And as you can probably tell from this title, uh, Holy Shit, We're Alive is not another boring and lightning self-help book. Instead, Doug shares his personal and unusual journey from what I said before of how he became a self-made millionaire at the age of 24. He was a devoted Mormon, but when he lost it all, he had to go down this rabbit hole of psychedelics, world travel, heartbreak, meditation, and so much more to find who he really was. Doug wrote his new book, Holy Shit, We're Alive, in hopes of inspiring others and shares tactical steps that readers can take to cut through the noise and lead happier, lives as a result. His book is launching uh, August 10th, so you can go and get a copy of that right now. I highly encourage you if this title uh, or his personal story and what I just mentioned interests you, uh, go and get a copy now. All links are in the show notes below. I honestly really, really enjoyed my conversation with Doug. He has a way of sharing his his incredible story in a unique way that uh, is very interesting and I have no doubt that you guys are going to love what he has to say too. So to help support Doug, his mission and everything that he's trying to do out there in the world, he's helped thousands of people around the world with his company Daily Shifts. So that's another area that we do uh, dive into as well. 
during this conversation. So my friends, if you do get something from this one, please share it around. Also go and get a copy of Doug's book too. Everything that you need are all in the show notes below. Doug is a great human being with a great purpose in his life at the moment. He's also a genuine, authentic human. Loved speaking with him. Can't wait to do it again sometime soon. But you know what time it is, my friends. It is time to dive into the story box today because you know what? We're alive. And what better way of (laughs) enjoying that uh, sheer appreciation for the fact that we are alive than listening to the incredible story of none other than my good friend, Doug Cartwright. I'm so stoked to be here, man. What an introduction. Thank you for for giving me the time for for me to actually interview you, man. Like, this is going to be fun. Like, the the title, holy shit, I don't swear, but that's technically not me swearing. So, (laughs) we'll we'll say that. (laughs) But um, I'm excited to actually unbox your story a little bit and and, uh, hear what you've actually journeyed through in just a moment. But before we do that, I have one question I love asking all my guests at the very, very start. I don't know if you've heard any of my other episodes, but uh, this one, I think you might like it. What does success look like for you? To me, success feels it's an interpersonal state of calm and centered and fulfillment and joy, you know, and and. And, you know, a lot of people believe success is the fancy car, the new job or the hot partner, the six pack abs. And most people are out there living in what I call happy when syndrome, Mm. right? I'll be happy when my shit comes in. I'll be happy when my book sells a million copies or when I pay off my debt or I get the partner or the car. But the reality is we believe that those things will make us happy. That's why we want them. Right. And so true success is internal alignment. You're calm. You're not anxious. You're not overwhelmed. It's just that true moment in the now of feeling just bliss and overwhelmed. Yeah. So that all being said is easier said than done for everyone. (laughs) So for those people that actually want to get into alignment, find this true sense of self purpose, fulfillment, you name it, whatever it is, and they're really wrestling with it. What advice would you give to them? Um, That's a really good question. I believe that, you know, the the trouble, the hard part about quote unquote being human is we're raised with societal pressures. You know, we're taught to go to college and get a job and we're raised in specific religions and we get these labels kind of placed on us early, you know, especially in elementary and and junior high where it's either, you know, you're the really smart kid, right? So I have to get good grades and get a good academic, you know, scholarship, or you're the athlete and, uh, you know, or you're the cool jock or you're the pretty girl or you're the brainiac or whatever it may be. And we have all of these labels. And so we seek kind of this validation to live up to who we were supposed to be. Like society, our family, religion, whatever, gives us these labels of who we need to be. And so we struggle so often in life to live up to that expectation. But true alignment and true happiness comes from when we're our most authentic, natural selves. Mm -hmm. And so to become who we truly are, we have to let go of who we thought we were supposed to be. 
right? And so we, we, the reason we're unhappy is we're going out into the world trying to live up to the idea of who we think we're supposed to be. And a lot of times that's missed in line of who we truly are. Mm. And so that's why we struggle so much internally. So how did you come to this realization for yourself? Yeah, and that's just through my story. You know, in my, I was really lucky, you know, in my early 20s. I was raised in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very high LDS or Mormon, Mormon belief system, which, which is very strict uh, rules. You know, no caffeine, no sex, no alcohol, no smoking, no coffee, right? And the reward for living, um, living in honor of God is you get to live in like this special heaven, kingdom of heaven, where you get to live in bliss for eternity with, you know, your wife and family forever. You know, there's like mm. in Mormonism, there's multiple heavens, so not just one heaven. There's like degrees of glory, they call it within. It. And so um, you have this really, really heavy expectation growing up mm. of like what to dress like, you know, who to be, you know, just the verbiage, the way you talk and to be like an upstanding citizen in your community. And I was also captain of the football team in high school. I always tell people I was a high school all-star, right? Captain of the football team. I was a community leader. I was student body vice president. And I was doing everything that I was quote unquote supposed to be doing, right? Um, And then the first hiccup came is, you know, there's, you're called to serve a a mission, a service mission when you're 19. Yep. You you go all over the world. I had friends going to Samoa and Russia and whatnot. I got actually called to Auckland, New Zealand. So your neighbor over there. Ah. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I'm familiar with that part of the world. And, you know, I actually got, ended up getting sent home early because I didn't obey the rules. And so, oh, you know, I did, I did, so really it, it was a, uh, there's a level of worthiness you're required to live up to before you go out. Right. So, you know, being morally clean, you're not drinking you're not doing stuff with girls. I had a girlfriend at the time when I was, you know, 18, and we fooled around, you know, physically, and I lied about it. <laughs> so you have like this interview with like a, a church leader, and they're like, okay, you know, are you living, quote unquote, they call the law of chastity, where it's like, you know, are you being, you know, aligned, you know, keeping your hands to yourself and not being sexually active? And I said, yeah, I am. And I wasn't. And so I lied. And so I went out there and I just felt um, to New Zealand and I just felt immense amount of guilt and shame. Right. It's like, oh my gosh, I lied. I'm quote unquote, not worthy to be here. I'm unworthy. I'm lying to God. God's mad at me. So I confessed on my mission and they actually sent me back to the, to the States. And so that was kind of the first time where it was like, oh wait, I'm not living up to the story that I'm supposed to be. I'm not this perfect kind of stand up citizen or, or community member. And God is quote unquote mad at me. And I feel like I started to let people down. Um, but I was able to kind of overcompensate that pretty quickly because when I was uh, 20, 19, 20, I was at the University of Utah. Um, and I got recruited to work at a sales company. And I had uncapped commissions. And I had like this really light bulb moment when I was 19 where I started to understand sales and commissions. And it was the idea of getting paid on your production rather than your time. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I'm 19. If I just go produce good work, I can get paid for that versus then just clocking in to a job and working a nine to five. And that kind of changed my paradigm a little bit. And really what I was battling over, you know, over both of these experiences is growing up, I was the fat kid. 
right? I was overweight. And so I, a story that I told about myself was that I was unworthy of love because something was physically wrong with me, right? I know that I'm overweight and you obviously can see that because you can see it. So I now know I have to overcompensate and prove to you why I'm worthy mm. because there's something wrong with me, right? And so I wasn't getting validation from girls and whatnot. And I'm kind of this fat kid. I was kind of always in the shadow of being kind of really, truly the popular kid. I was always, you know, I was kind of in the shadow of someone. So I get home from my mission. So I'm the fat kid and I kind of screwed up in church, but then I kind of find this sales job with uncapped commissions. And this was kind of like my time to shine. And I met a really incredible mentor named Casey, who was the one who got me into like personal development and goal setting and healthy habits. And I remember he handed me a book uh, called Goals by Brian Tracy. Mm. I was actually in Florida on spring break and I was reading it at the pool and like something clicked. It was like personal development is amazing sales and I can learn these skills. These are skills that I can learn. And so I embarked on this new career of door-to-door sales with uncapped commissions. And I saw a lot of success really, really early. And what really, and so, I mean, I was 19 years old. I was knocking, selling door-to-door alarm systems in Dallas, Texas, um, in the middle of the summer. And it's like, I'm sweating coming home. Like I remember like having like swath stains on my butt and like, like dripping armpits and like knocking on people's doors, trying to sell these alarm systems. Anyways, was very successful at it. And I remember in a six week period, I made $50,000 as a young kid. And I remember like getting my check and being like, whoa, my whole life is about to change. Mm. And so from that moment on, I um, fully committed to this job. I know I had great mentors that were like helping me become a good version of myself. But really what was happening was I was, as I performed better in sales, I started making more money. I was getting recognition at my company, right? It's like, oh, cool. I remember someone called me the LeBron James of my company. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, I'm the man. I'm finally the man. Like I can prove all you guys that I'm the man. And so I got obsessed with this sales career where I was recruiting and training guys. And by the time I was 24, I, I cleared over a million dollars in sales commissions. Mm. And the deeper wound though at the time was I didn't love myself. And I was trying to be someone everyone wanted me to be. And in regards to dating, like I've never gotten validation. So all of a sudden you give a 23 year old a big chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And I just started spending that like crazy because all I was saying was like, hey, validate me. So I'm like, I'm the guy, seriously, I'm like, I'm a big sports guy. I love the Utah Jazz. I love University of Utah football. I love NFL. So I'm the guy that's going to the Super Bowls. I'm going to the NBA playoffs. I'm going to the World Series. I'm buying front row tickets. And there was like, if you go look back, like in my Instagram page, you'll see like this series of photos where I'm at like a game every weekend. And then the the peak of it all is when I spent like $15,000 to sit in a suite with Kevin Durant uh, at the Super Bowl, And it was like the highlight, right? It looked really cool on Instagram. You know, like, oh, people are stoked. But inside, like, I was miserable. I remember I missed the whole game because I was just scrolling through my Instagram looking at how many likes I was going to get. And so I can't, I can't hit this crossroads. So to really answer your question here, the crossroads I hit was it was like, I coined it the success void, mm-hmm. right? I had a great job. I was hanging out with pretty girls. I was traveling the world. I was sitting front row at sporting events. I was driving, you know, $100,000 Mercedes. And on paper, it looked really good. 
but internally there was like this deep, deep void. And I'm like, I am not happy. Like not only, you know, I made some screw ups in my early, in my early teens or in my early twenties, I've overcompensated those. I've done more to prove everyone that I'm worthy of love, but I still have this deep, deep void. And that, that moment, that time in my life was really scary. And that was really the, the time where I, I looked deeper and I was like, okay, we need to start making some changes here. Did the church sort of kick you out entirely? So it's crazy. You, know, you talk about your mom being super conservative. My mom is very conservative too, very, you know, lives the standards of the Mormon faith. And I was in quote unquote, a disciplinary council. Um, because oh, wow. of my actions, right, in the church. And it was this continuous, like, I kept screwing up with girls. Right? <laughs> I kept intimate with girls. And every time you do that, it's like, you know, they're going to kick you out of the church. And so I was, literally was at the point where I was about to get excommunicated from the church. Like, they were going to literally kick me out of the church. I had this council. They're like, yeah, you're done. And my mom flies in last minute, calls the, you know, the leader at the time. She's like, you cannot kick my son out. It's going to be, you know, devastating for him, blah, 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 blah. So they, they gave me like a slap on the wrist. They call it a, a disfellowshipment where it's kind of like, you're just not in good standing with the church. So it was the second time I'd been disfellowshipped. I was about to get excommunicated. Um, didn't, uh, mom comes in to save the day. Right. And, but it was kind of at that point, it was, it was too late anyways. And then kind of after my, you know, exploration, my deep dive, otherwise I actually, by choice in 2017, um, removed my, my records from the church. So I'm technically not a Mormon anymore, but that was my choice. But, you know, if I, if I wouldn't have done that, if it wasn't for my mom, they would have, you know, they would have kicked me out anyways. See, that's what I have a somewhat problem with is like, in order to quite go to heaven and be with God one day, you have to have this record. And it's basically like the faith by works kind of thing. It's a ridiculous mindset. I don't believe that in the slightest. I believe that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're going to heaven. You don't have to work this, I guess you could say, perfect in quotation marks lifestyle in order to match up. And then one day you get to heaven and say, God pulls out a list and says, hey, you didn't match up all these things and you didn't tick them all off. Like. Yeah. Man, <laughs> you know, I'm with you. I had a, I had an experience. You know what? My first time, you know, so around this time of having this success void, I'm like searching. I'm like, okay, church isn't working for me. Money's not the answer, right? Mm. Like, traveling is not the answer. Sporting events isn't the answer. Being the ultimate bachelor is not the answer. What's the answer here? Like, what is going on? And it was kind of this dark time. And around the time, I was I was open to new ideas. And I came across a lot of studies that talked about the therapeutic benefits of psychedelics. Mm. And at this point, being, you know, mid 20s, raised in a conservative Christian home in Utah, you're literally taught that all drugs are the same, and they're all meth. And if you do them once, you're going to get addicted and die. You know, it's like, it's just kind of like the, the narrative that's kind of pumped into your brain. And so I'm reading some of these studies and some of these quotes from really prominent entrepreneurs and business leaders who are, you know, claiming that these psychedelic medicines have profound, beautiful impact on their life and their career. Mm. And I'm like, what in the hell? Like, what? 
like I remember the first time reading something like that, my jaw dropped. Cause like, you know, there's the quote from Steve Jobs that says, you know, doing LSD was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And there's another quote from Tim Ferriss who says, you know, every self-made billionaire I know actively produce, actively participates in psychedelic experiences. Mm. And in my head, the, the correlation I make is like, okay, well, if the CEO of, you know, a big corporation get, gets caught up in a cocaine scandal, that's front page news. He's out and, you know, their stock drops 30%. But like there's open, there's really creative geniuses openly talking about the benefits of psychedelics. I'm like, there's got to be something here. Mm. And so my interest was peaked. And so um, literally a couple of weeks later, maybe two, it was really close after I kind of opened up the door here. I'm at a party um, up in Eden, Utah, a beautiful cabin party. And a high school friend who I hadn't seen in years is there. And it's like, hey, Doug, not sure if you're interested in this, but I have some MDMA here, which technically some people don't classify as a psychedelic. Um, you know, the psychedelics you're talking about are LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, DMT, ayahuasca, things like that. And MDMA has, you know, benefits as well. And I'm like, no way. I've never been offered anything like this before in my life. And right after I read benefits of it, I get offered. I'm like, I, I remember, you know, my head was saying no, but my soul was screaming yes. Mm. And I'm like, I have to try this. I have to go down the rabbit hole. I have to just explore and see what this is all about. Anyways, so I take this MDMA pill and my best friend literally took the exact same amount at the exact same time as me. And so and it, was his, it was his first time ever too. And so like, cool, if we're doing it, let's do it together. Right. So, you know, 45 minutes into it, it kicks in and anyone who's done MDMA, you know, at a rave or whatever, I kind of have a typical MDMA. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel amazing. And the music is the most incredible music I've ever heard. And this light show is like the coolest. And I love everyone and like, everyone give me a hug, you know, and I'm kind of having an MDMA experience. But, you know, there's a point kind of at the, the beginning where I have this kind of self-talk in my head. I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is fun. But like, this isn't life-changing like I've read. I'm not like healing. And I remember kind of having this like moment where you got like the angel on one, your shoulder and the devil on the other. And it was like, we <laughs> slope here. Like, you're going to do it tonight. And you're never going to do this again. Like, because, you know, it's a gateway drug and you're going to end up doing meth and being addicted and die, you know? And so I'm like, okay. And then I have this moment uh, I'm for sure, like I'm, 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 in, I'm having an experience and I'm laying down on this hardwood floor at this cabin. And I go to stand up and I have like this, like, oh shit, like I need help. I need help right now. And my body was like frozen. And I felt like my, I can't explain, but like my soul was falling out of my body. Mm. And everything was in really, really slow motion. And I almost was getting, um, like memories that I had forgotten about from my childhood were popping up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like they talk about this, like you're going to like, I'm, I'm remembering my life and I'm about to die. And I literally thought I was dying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, someone's going to have to call my mom and tell her that I took drugs at a cabin and died. And it was, it was, I don't know how long it was. I want to say it was maybe only a couple of seconds, but it was horrific for like eight to 10 seconds. It was like, I'm stuck. I'm dead. It's over. Then it was kind of like this, like, and I was like in something had changed. I remember like looking at my hands being like, what just happened? And so I go to open up this door at this cabin and I don't know how to explain it, 
but the best way is to expand. I was in another dimension. And I know this sounds crazy. Like it sounds woo woo weird, but I was physically, it wasn't a hallucination. I was literally on a dimension on top of this dimension. Everything was way more real. I could see energy and anything that had been alive. I could look at someone and kind of just know a lot more about them. And it was the most incredible, beautiful, like, I, I tell people it's like I got through the veil in a sense. Mm. And I had a moment to kind of go back to what we were talking about. You know, I, got, I went outside on the patio, overlooked this lake, and I could see the earth's soul breathing. And I'm like, oh, wait, Mother Earth. Oh, I get it. It's, a, it's an actual being entity. Like, there's a reason they call it, oh, okay, I get it. It has a soul. And then I walk in back inside and then this like beam of light socks me on the top of the head and it's the love of the creator and it's the most incredible indescribable immense love and connection you could ever imagine and to your point it's not you don't have to earn it it's there no matter what it's not like it's sticking at a list it's like okay have you been a good boy have you done this there's no checklist it was the incredible, immense love from the creator, whatever you want to call it, God, universe, soul, divine, whatever your word is. It's this incredible universal energy that cares about us infinitely. And I felt that for the first time in my life. Mm. And it just completely overwhelmed me. And the rest of the night, you know, I went into this other room and kind of closed my eyes and started hallucinating and kind of had these weird hallucinations about, you know, why I'm on earth and what happens when we die. And anyways, it was this really incredible experience. But the thing that was really tricky about it was I thought that's what happened to everyone when they take MDMA. Mm. And so afterwards, I'm like talking to my buddy and I'm like, hey, you know, what did you learn in the spirit world? He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, when you got to that other dimension, like, what did you learn about life? Like, I saw, like, you know, I feel like my purpose of life and I felt the love of God. And he's like, what are you talking about? And so there was a brief moment after this experience where I was actually extremely panicked because I'm like, oh, I, I, I messed up my brain. Like, I've gone Looney Tunes. Like, I, I checked me into a psych ward, right? Put me in the straight jacket. I believe in another dimension. And I felt God, like, yeah, you say that on the street, they put you in, they put you in a crazy bin. Mm. And so like, I've messed up my mind. And so there was a period after this experience was like, oh shoot, I should have never played in this field. I've completely screwed everything up, whatnot. Um, but the first coincidence and synchronicity I want to share is that, you know, eight years or excuse me, a couple of years, was it eight years? So this happened in 2017 on my Mormon mission. Yeah, eight years earlier, I was on my Mormon mission in New Zealand and I kept having this recurring dream. And I have it written down in my missionary journal, but in the dream, I'm looking through like this sliding glass door and I look on the counter through the window and I see like this white birthday cake. And right before I wake up, I zoom in over the cake and I look down and in really big red frosting, it just says June 10th. So me and my companion at the time in, in, in my, on my Mormon mission made it into this really funny inside joke. Like, okay, June 10th, something crazy is going to happen on June 10th. Anyways, June 10th came on my mission, nothing happened. Anyways, zooming back to the story, my one of my really good sober friends was there and he recorded me talking in like this other dimension that i thought i was in that i felt like i was in and he sent me the video and so i was showing a friend of mine like hey check this out because me in this dimension like you know speaking in this dimension and i look at the timestamp on the bottom of the video 
It's June 10th. Damn. And I'm like, what is going on? So that coincidence connecting the June 10th. So June 10th, 2017 is like my big day, like the day my life literally changed forever. That led me to be like, okay, that's too weird of a coincidence. And, you know, cutting a long story short, and I, and I explain the whole story in my book, you know, coming out for those that want a little bit more juicy stuff, dive into the book. But eventually what that experience did is it got me engaged and curious in life, in the weird coincidences. And that eventually led me down the road meeting incredible people, traveling the world, talking to the psychologists and the therapists and the meditators and the professionals, which eventually led me working, you know, with ayahuasca, which is a plant medicine. And that was, you know, a really, really profound, pivotal moment of my life and my journey of self-healing and to circle all the way back allowed me to do the work to forget about the person who I thought I was supposed to be and gain the confidence and alignment to be my true authentic self and share my gifts with the world. What a crazy story, man. And it's, it's way crazier. So if you want the book, the big, it's really, really wild. The book goes, is a roller coaster. But that's I have kind of no doubt. That's <laughs> yeah. I have no doubt about that, man. Like I have never taken drugs in my life, never had any alcohol, partly yeah. for two reasons, choice and then my own health. But yeah. I've always been fascinated by people who have actually taken drugs and the experience, because you're right, it is different for every single person that has taken a drug. Sometimes it is somewhat similar but there's differences for each person it's kind of relative uh and i've always wondered you know how real is it actually like can you have this kind of experience without the drug or yeah. do you have to take the actual drug in order to sort of feel like your sense of centerness or get to the creator or mother earth or all that sort of stuff like is it just the drug making it happen for you or and is that a good thing or is it a bad thing I, I don't know I'm like I'm it's a very it's a it's a very valid question and so I kind of have two two angles on it so it's you know the first my first point is no you don't need these medicines and these these substances right mm. but it, it almost feels like a shortcut not a shortcut but more of like you know you can do 20 years of therapy or you can go do an ayahuasca retreat in over a weekend. <laughs> you know, you in the same place, it's just the timing and the amount of effort, right? And it just gets so deep into your subconscious. And I think, you know, a lot of people are like, well, maybe it was just your brain cells firing and, you know, you just were making that up in your head. Totally possible. But to me, it doesn't matter. Like my life is significantly better. I feel so much more joy. I feel so much happier, aligned, and true to who I am. So to me, it really doesn't matter if it was real or not. It's very real to me, and it's more real than this is real. Mm. So to me, it's real. And it doesn't really matter if it was just a weird synopsis firing off in my brain because the results that it provided are really beautiful and life-changing. That's cool, man. Like I love how we're all got, we've all got different stories. And like I mentioned in, in the beginning, it's sort of – you have similarities that sort of pop up. And I mean, I've had my fair share of experiences where I've had conversations with God and people might think that it's a bit, you know, out there and woo-woo and what have you, but it's, it was my experience as part of my story. I don't expect you to understand if you haven't been through anything like it. And I, I understand where you're coming from, even if you've taken drugs to actually get there. It, it doesn't matter how you get there. 
question is how do how does your conversation with God show up? Is it through like meditation or prayer or like I'm interested in that? Well, it's a funny story in that like it's happened several times, but the main one that I do open up about in my book was actually I was blind for a period of time, so I had meningitis, meningococcal, and I couldn't see. So one of my symptoms was I, I was sensitive to light. So in I, I got meningitis too. I've had dude, it. Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> We're going to get into that. That's another story, yeah. But uh, I was sitting in in the hospital chair, and because when one sense is gone, you sort of like. You can't look around. You can't be distracted by all the things that are going on. So my brain went to, I guess you could say, a different place. And I, I, I was having this dialogue for over four hours with God. He was asking me all these questions. And the one question he kept coming back to was, why are you here? Why are you here? And I had no idea how to answer him. I'm like, well, it's your fault I'm here, isn't it? Like, you know, I kept having that sort of mindset because I went through countless other painful moments in my life even before getting to this point and up until this point I was just sick of it all so I was angry at God angry at myself angry at everyone so I was really really hating being there and being in pain I was just sick of it so for four hours I was blaming God and then at the end he's like do you trust me and that hit me I'm like yeah I got the chills and like in that moment, I still get the chills when I tell the story and I'm like, okay, I'm ready because wow. you got to have a llama puncture. Yeah. So I had to go through a llama puncture and it was a 50, 50% chance of surviving that or potentially dying from it. You name it, all kinds of possible scenarios. I couldn't see the doctor and the doctor only done one other llama puncture, which you know, for me, I need to see his eyes because they're the windows to the soul for me to be able to trust you. I couldn't do that. But right. who was I really putting my trust in? Was it the doctor or was it God? Wow. So that was a massive, massive test. And thank God I did survive. <laughs> but that was my experience, man. What was your experience with meningitis? It wasn't nearly as powerful as yours, but in 2000, right before, and it was right after I got sent home from my Mormon mission. I remember, you know, the, the being blind. I remember driving home from a buddy's house at night. I started feeling really sick. And as the cars would drive past their headlights and it was just like extremely blinding. Yeah. I'm like, why is this so intense? Like what is going on? And I remember I had to pull over for a little bit, and like lay down. And I remember like, what is going on? Mm. And so I get home and I was living with my parents at the time. Um, and I got really intense headache and I would, you know, I woke my parents up, at, you know, I was like, yeah, I was 19 at the time. And I'm like, Hey, I have a really bad headache. My dad was like, just take some ibuprofen. And so I did, I went back to bed and it was like, it felt like someone was inside my head with a hammer mm-hmm. and I walked into their bedroom and I'm like, if you guys don't take me to the hospital, I'm calling an ambulance. Yep. And they're like, Oh, you're serious. Mm. Like, yeah. And so they took me in to the hospital and they start doing all these tests and then they finally they're like doing the meningitis test and i'm assuming you had bacterial right yeah yeah uh oh it was viral but there was a there was a high chance of me actually getting bacterial so i wasn't i wasn't out of the woods so i had to stay in hospital another night which i was blind again for i think two four days two to four days 
Yeah. Um, so two days actually fully blind and then vision impaired for four. So yeah, so I never went fully blind. And uh, so it turns out I had viral, which is the less dangerous one. Yep. But I mean, still the doctor comes in, he's like, yeah, you have viral meningitis. You have a you know 10% chance of dying. I'm like 10%, 10% is really high. Like that's <laughs> a really high percent chance of dying. Yep. And so they did the, uh, it was, it's called the blood patch where they, you know, they do the shot in your back and whatnot. And, uh, no, yeah, they, they, they pulled the fluid out of your back and whatever, I guess they, they put a hole in my spinal fluid and that gave, that made me extremely sick, extremely nauseous because the spinal fluid was getting out. And then I was in, I was in the hospital for two days. Um, and then they, they gave me what I called a blood patch. They take blood out of another part of your body and shoot it to where that hole is in your spinal fluid, um, which I guess clogs it up. So it doesn't leak out anymore. Uh-huh. And I remember I went back to the hospital because they sent, yeah, they sent me home with that shot. I got super sick again. I remember I had to get wheelchaired into the hospital because I couldn't see, couldn't even stand up straight. They do this blood patch and within 15 minutes, I was skipping out of the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, work like instantly. That did not happen to me. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny you bring that because I haven't thought about that in a long time. And uh, Michelle, I don't, I don't know what I learned from that. You know, it was such a weird, out of left field thing that happened to me, and it's such a rare thing. I think you're the only other person I know that has meningitis. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I just learned something from you today. That's cool. Man. It's, it's. I don't meet many people that have actually had meningitis either. Yeah. And to that, to that extent, like you understand what. A lumbar puncture is, it sucks. Brutal. And then I don't even think I had the blood patch. I don't think they gave that to me, but I I had my mum actually film. I don't know where the movie's gone. I got a photo now. I had a film, actually the, the mercury sort of the silver stuff coming out of your spinal fluid. Yeah. Cool. And into the, into the vial. I thought it was mad. So I, I was trying to use humor as a way to distract myself from the pain. Mm. And my mom thought I was nuts. <laughs> She's like, why do you want to film this? Why do you want a photo? I'm like, it's a record, you know, like this is an experience and a half. Like how many people can actually say they went, had a massive needle, like super long stick in the back of their spine. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, um, that's nah, interesting, man. I didn't get to talk to God though. I wish I would have. No, like that. I think that was just, I was in a very dark, place of my life at the time as well so i think he was just trying to get my attention for a long period of time i was going a million miles an hour in life had no rest and then all of a sudden like god often does for me is he flattens me with something big (laughs) to get my attention the way god speaks to us or whatever your word is god universe soul divine spirit well whatever it is right it whispers yep it whispers. And if we don't whisper, then it taps us on the shoulder. And if we still don't listen, it'll nudge us. And if we still don't listen, then the brick over the head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly, man. You said it perfectly there. Did you, yeah. did you open up about this in your book at all or no? The meningitis? The meningitis. Yeah, no, no, no. It's actually a story I kind of forgotten. You know, oh, was, wow. uh, yeah, it was something. And I think it's because I, I didn't pull like a really deep, takeaway from it but i talk you know there's i talk about being sexually abused when i was six years old hey talk, same yeah we're Dude, over geez. 
<laughs> Here's the takeaway on this because my, my sexual abuse, I was six years old. Um, it wasn't malicious. Mm. It was a friend, a, a kid on my street yep. who was a couple years older than me, who was really curious. And when I'd go over to his house and on his basement, he'd ask me to take my pants off and, you know, felt very, very violated and a lot of shame about it. Yep. And it was this big secret that I kept forever. I never told anyone. And what's really sad and fascinating at the same time is that when he was 16 years old, he got in a car accident and died. Oh, mate. And my first thought when that happened was relief. I'm like, okay, phew, now no one will know our secret. Wow. Truly going to the grave, right? And I suppressed it. I shoved it deep down inside. I never told anyone. I tried to forget it. And in an ayahuasca session, um, you know, I'm in this ceremony. It's very, anyone who's not familiar with an ayahuasca session, it's very, it's not like, hey, it's Friday night. Let's go do ayahuasca and hang. No, it's very intense. It's very ceremonial. Uh, you work with a, a shaman who usually has a bloodline. It's, it's like, it's, ayahuasca is not fun. It's a very mm. intense. It's very overwhelming. There's, you purge. It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. You, you prepare for months for it. It's not just like going to get high with your friends. So anyways, I'm in the ceremony setting and this memory of this kid's basement keeps kind of like coming into my hallucination. I'm like, why am I thinking about this? Like, why is this coming up? I don't, I'm doing ayahuasca right now. I don't want to think about this. And then I'm like, oh, wait, there's probably something here. And so I kind of surrendered into the experience and I started reliving it and reliving this really intense emotions and kind of seeing myself as a little scared six-year-old. And I have a lot of empathy for that version of myself. Mm. And when it was all said and done, it started connecting some dots for me. And the experience showed me that like, you know, in, in my life, especially in high school and in college, I had a lot of friends who were girls. I, I could make friends with girls very easily, right? And connect with them. It would be strictly platonic. But I always had a little bit more difficult time making friends with guys. And it showed me the reason is because another story I created in my subconscious was that men will hurt you and they'll come on to you. So you need to subconsciously create a barrier and a wall and keep men at a distance so they don't, they don't abuse you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been telling myself this story and keeping men at a distance because my very first best friend abused me. Mm. And I threw, you know, working with therapists and whatnot, I was able to overcome that. And now it's like, I have tons of guy friends and it's not quote unquote gay. Not that that's a bad thing, but like, it's not gay and it's not bad and they're not going to abuse you. And it's literally changed my life. And it was something that I would have never connected that that sexual abuse was actually affecting personal relationships 25 years later. I call it the traumatic days. Mm. And I, so a similar thing happened to me, except he he was a family friend. He was from our church, actually, our old one, yeah. very old one. And, you know, you don't think that someone has the capability of doing something like this in that sort of environment. Like you trust, you build that sense of trust. We were good friends. He was, he was I think, 14 or 15 at the time. He was a curious kid, granted. And he, he put his hand down my pants, started sort of jacking me off if I can use that yeah. explanation for 15 seconds or thereabouts takes his hand out. And then he says, if you tell anyone I'll hurt you. 
but I sort of laughed it off like because I didn't understand right then the full extent of what that actually meant and I just the next day I actually told my mum yelled it out actually and I was laughing about it um, and then that's when sort of my parents tried their best to handle the situation but ultimately what that did for me is my brain as a way of protecting myself created this daze. So I went through life after that point and I would have these flashbacks. Like they would come just random times in my life. The, the couch, the, the hand down my pants or his face even. And I was like, what's that? Like I didn't fully grasp it. That was a traumatic days that I was walking around for a long period of time. I had a, a lot of shame, a lot of uh, I didn't understand what that actually meant, another man uh, or boy another, abusing another boy in that way. So what does that talk say about me as a, as a man now? And I had to go on this like it was actually last year in September on Father's Day that – I got up the courage to ask the question. And then in that moment of realization that actually happened, it was like, damn, now what? Wow. Another journey in of itself. But wow. it doesn't have to be this, you know, repeat, I was abused this many times or it can be so subtle. It doesn't have to be gigantic, right? It can be so small. Your trauma is valid. But right? still trauma. Yeah. Still trauma. Trauma. There's no. There's no gauge on trauma, right? Trauma is trauma. No. So a lot of times people will have trauma shame, where it's like, okay, I had this little trauma, but so and so got raped multiple times as a kid. So who am I to come out and express my trauma when so and so has it so much worse? Mine's just minimal and it's not a big deal, right? And so a lot of people fall into that trap where they don't think it's intense enough to come forward and try and heal it but it's still having a dramatic influence on the way you live. Mm, that's right, man. So if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? How old do you think? How old do I look? 26. 32. Thank you, though. Jeez, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 24, bro. So when did, when did all this, like what age were you when all this started happening? What do you mean? Like the healing? The healing process. Yeah, it started, I mean, June 10th, 2017, right? The night of the cabin, that night dramatically changed the course of my life. And do you feel like you fully healed? I don't, I don't know. I, I would say, I don't know if we ever get fully healed, right? But I would say those big, those big traumatic experiences, I, I feel like I've healed the, the big ones, right? The mm. big rock I pulled out of the stream, you know? And it's the, it's, and I, I like to think that I'm a humble guy in some aspects, but it's something I'm extremely proud of. I'm extremely proud of my personal work. I've spent mm -hmm. a lot of time on it and I took it very seriously. And I had, had I, I looked at the tough questions. I looked at the ugly parts of my life. And that's truly the intention of the book is to give people permission to start their journey, to remove these roadblocks, stopping them, right? to do their healing work because listen, I had everything, money, cars, girls, trips, sporting events, and I was miserable. I do my healing work 
And I get so aligned internally that I feel like I've got this just never ending rush of energy and love pouring out of me. It doesn't matter what happens externally, right? Cause I'm so aligned internally. And I always say that your internal state dictates your external experience. Mm. Yeah, I could say, Hey, I'll give you whatever you want. Cars, the nicest house on the beach with the Maserati and the hottest partner, right? And a billion dollars in the bank, but you're going to be depressed and anxious all the time. Mm. You don't want it, right? You want the feeling you think those things will bring, right? But if you're full of love and enthusiasm and joy and excited about your life and you live, you know, in a mediocre neighborhood with a mediocre car and a very below average, you take that every day. You want, you want the feeling you think it's going to bring. And so the, the book is really, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a, I'm not, I don't have any medical degrees or whatnot, but through stories, I tell people, Hey, and I, this is what I learned. And I, I hope to encourage people to start their personal work because it, it really is so beautiful on the other side. Very similar to me, man, except yeah. you're further ahead than what I am. So congratulations on everything that you've achieved, you know, the healing process, the, the book, I think it's going to help a, a lot of lives. The title is say it again, oh, yeah, we're alive, baby. Holy shit. We're alive. There we go. <laughs> so what happened, the way the title of that came was, I was in an ayahuasca experience. It was my second night ever. So my first night ever was brutal. I got, it was really intense, really heavy, really like cleaning out a lot of old garbage and dealing with a lot of trauma and, you know, dealing with my ex-girlfriend and whatnot. It was really intense. The next night, I kind of got insights on what my life would look like if I lived up to who I truly am. Mm. And I kind of like completely zoomed out of the earthly experience. I got what I call the cosmic perspective. And then I was able to see myself. I see my body. And I remember looking at my hand and being like, I just think, and I can close my fist. Like, that's crazy. Like I have this incredible meat suit and this strong body. And, and I saw earth as like this cosmic adventure where it's like we have art and music and we have these incredible brains where we can learn things and language and like, What's really crazy is you're in Australia right now and I have, we're on a talking face to face through like this internet that someone invented, like, this is crazy. And I remember just like, it was like, I was seeing the earth for the first time. Mm. And I had this moment, I'm like, holy shit, this is what it feels like to be alive. And I remember like leaning up in the center, I'm like, holy shit, we're alive. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the title of the book. It's like, yeah, like, holy shit. Like we have the most incredible, beautiful experience right in front of us. Being human is the most incredible gift. We have so much opportunity and beautiful beaches and mountain ranges and plants and animals and music and art and food. And we can create and we can connect and we have all these things. But the reason we're not enjoying our lives is because we're stuck in a story of how we think life is supposed to be. Yeah. You said that, man. When does the book come out officially? August 10th is the release date. Um, you can pre-order it now. Pre-orders are on thedailyshifts.com and uh, also on Amazon. Amazon should be launching soon. So if you can't find it on Amazon, uh, go to thedailyshifts.com. You get the exact same book, um, but you'll be able to find it on our website and on Amazon. And the Daily Shifts, by the way, is another story entirely, which we could get into, but for the sake of time, yeah. mate, <laughs> this has been good. Uh, two final questions for you, if you don't mind, man. Do you feel like anything is missing currently in your life? I don't think missing is the right word, right? Mm -hmm. I feel very aligned with who I am. 
I do feel like there are things in my life that can enhance my human experience that I don't currently have. Missing maybe feels like there's something lacking. I don't feel like there's lack, but I feel like it can be enhanced. Good. I like that. I feel that. I feel that. Like it's, yeah, it's true. So this is my final question. It's a hypothetical one. It's my, one of my all-time favorite ones that I always ask everyone at the end. So right. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All okay. your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. It might be a wild film, but that doesn't matter. And don't ask me how they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of an argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I want it to say that my life was an adventure of experience that helped and inspired people to really help help other humans remember why they're here, right? I feel like that's my purpose is to help remind people why you're on earth mm. is to have a human experience and to fully participate in your life. And so I would hope this film was a recollection of memories and experiences that helped light that spark in other people as we experience life together. Holy crap, Doug Cartwright. Thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast and showing a little bit about your story, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Storybox on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.